Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of John, the Gospel according to John, the 10th chapter and the 10th verse. Probably one of the more familiar passages of Scripture in the Bible. A single verse. The thief, Jesus is speaking, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we join our hearts and our minds together and open as widely as we can the faith door of our lives, and we ask that you would come in. Lord, for those that are joining us worldwide, wherever they are, their countries may be in turmoil. Their nation may be experiencing war or difficulty. For those that are in hotel rooms feeling loneliness and fear, watching this online, we pray that you would speak straight into their lives. For those in each campus of Free Chapel, we pray, God, that you would come in and speak a word to them. Lord, I'm believing that when we leave here today, we will have heard from you. I thank you for it, and I believe you for it in advance. In the wonderful name, Jesus, the strong Son of God, amen. Amen and amen. The challenge with the word more is that it doesn't precisely mean anything. It's a comparative. It just simply says this is more than that. It's one of the challenges of leadership and management. When I was pastoring a church, somebody in the, in the nursery would come and say, we need more nursery workers. I would say, no, no, I can't get you more. More is a bottomless pit. I can get you 10. I could get 20, I can get 30, but I can't have a, I can't deal with a number as imprecise as more. But when we begin to talk about life, it also challenges us with regard to how we think about more. I want more money. I want more happiness. I want more kids. Not me, but somebody may say that. Now, There is hardly any place where it speaks to us as much as the issue of of money. So I just want to deal with that right up front. There is a fascinating movie which is very familiar, I think, to many of you from uh, its appearances over and over again on television. It's become a sort of a Christmas holiday tradition to watch Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life. The villain of It's a Wonderful Life is Mr. Potter, and he is a despicable villain. He uh, steals the money that will keep the, that will keep the uh, savings and loan open and pushes uh, Jimmy Stewart and the saving, local savings and loan company into near bankruptcy. Why does he do it? He's rich. He's the richest man in the town. He's the richest man in the area. Why does he do it? Because he wants more. He wants more money. He lusts for more. He will steal it. He, he wants to connive to get it. 
But now contrast with this. There is a, another uh, movie which has become sort of a classic as well. And I wonder how many of you have ever seen the, uh, the movie The Music Man. Will you raise your hand? Five. All right. <laughs> the Music Man is a classic musical. It's the story of a of a wandering sort of a con man who comes to a small town in Iowa and convinces all of them to buy band uniforms for a non-existent band. He's going to collect the money, jump on the train, and get out of town before he's caught. In the process of this, uh, the music man falls in love with Marion the Librarian. And Marion the Librarian has become a focal point of hatred and envy by all of the town's uh, matrons. And there's this fascinating scene where they all get together and they criticize both Marion the librarian and her patron who was, uh, who was Mr. Madison. He is given Madison Park, Madison, uh, Hall, Madison, uh, library. He gave all the books. All of that, and these women just hate him, and they call him Old Miser Madison. He's the most generous man in the town. He's given the town all these things, but they criticize him as Old Miser Madison, and they make up this entire story that Marion the librarian was involved with him romantically, which is ludicrous. He was on his deathbed. But why do they criticize them? Because Old Miser Madison had more money than they did because Marion Librarian has more education, more culture, and frankly, more good looks. So they all come together and they criticize them and the, mo the movie goes into a, a scene of music where they're singing like chickens. Pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little because they're criticizing. So here's the contrast. Mr. Potter, the it comes like the thief to steal, kill, and destroy because he wants more. Then the matrons of, of uh, the city in Iowa criticize and condemn and envy Madison and Mary and the librarian because they have more. When we begin to talk about the meaningful Christian life, we begin to hear God say to us through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to have more. You were made for more. You were made for more life. Does that speak to the issue of finances? There is no reason in this world that we cannot say, Lord, bless me with more. I want more. How do we resolve that? If we go at it as Mr. Potter, I'll do anything it takes. I'll connive. I'll steal. I'll manipulate. I'll rob from the government. I'll steal my tithe from the church. I'll do anything it takes to have more. Then more actually becomes less. But if we say, Lord, I want to be used more. I want to give more. I want to bless more. I want to give more to missions. I want to give more to the church. I want to, I want to bless more. Then God says more becomes more because as we give, we receive more. It's the magnificent contrast of the kingdom of God with regard to our finances. Now, what does Jesus mean in the broader context? When he talks about, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He is saying, I want you to be able to do more, to live more, to enjoy more, to, to be more loving, more giving, more forgiving, more and more and more forgiving. 
He says, I don't want you to live your life in the margins. People live, so many people live their lives, cramped, puny little lives, lived by people with cramped, puny little souls. But Jesus says, I am come that you might have abundant life. More is used in scripture nearly 900 times. In fact, my research shows me that one in every 1,000 words in the Bible is the word more. Jesus is constantly comparing what he wants to give us. That's the comparative, more. What he wants to give us, what he wants to bless us with, how he wants to lift us up compared with what we have known, what we have experienced, and what we can do for ourselves. First of all, when Jesus says, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, it is simply another way of saying to you, you were made for more. You were made for more than you've ever experienced, more than you've ever known. What are some of the categories of more? First of all, he wants to give us more destiny. But let's think about some of the persons in Scripture. Moses had heard this over and over again. When he was a slave, God said, I have more. You were made for more than this. When he was raised up to Pharaoh's palace, God spoke again. I'm going to give you more than this. Moses said, more than a palace? God said, much, much more. When he fled to the desert, God said, I'm going to give you more than this. When he took him back to Egypt, he said, I'm going to give you more than this. When he finally took him to the, to the, out into the desert yet again with the people, he said, God, are we going to die here in the desert? He said, I'm going to give you more. No matter where you have been in your life, God is speaking to you and saying, I have more destiny for you. I have something else for you to know. Think about David. The king, as he was a, as he was a shepherd boy who came in from the sheepfold and there was found in his house, his father and all his brothers and the prophet Samuel. What is it that God spoke to David? He said to him, you were made for more. You were made for more than just keeping the sheep. You were made for more than, than just working on a farm. And he said, but I, I'm happy with this. I love my father. I love being here. And God said, yes, but you were made for more. We think about Paul the Apostle, who lived his life so angry, filled with murderous rage, despised the church, hated Jesus. And he felt, I am accomplishing something. I'm doing something great. I'm persecuting the church. As he went from Jerusalem to Damascus, God knocked him off his high horse, struck him blind, and spoke to him from the sky. And basically what he said is, you were made for more. You were made for more than this. You weren't made to live in this kind of anger and bitterness and resentment and envy and strife and legalism. Think about Matthew, the, the tax collector, as he sat at his desk. It's one of the most remarkable conversions and calls to apostleship in the whole Bible. Jesus simply steps up to his desk, and all he says is, follow me. Follow me. He leaves his career. He leaves his fortune. He leaves his past because what did he hear when Jesus said, follow me? What, what did he hear underneath that? He heard you were made for more. You were made for more than this. This is not the life that I have for you. I have more for you. 
Look, it's, it's not just the people in the Bible either. I just uh, had a fascinating conversation with a physician in Texas, and he told me about a man named Fidel Alvarado in a small town in Texas who just passed away, deeply honored by the whole town and indeed by the state of Texas. And I said, what, what made Fidel Alvarado such a, a hero? He said, well, he was in a, a car crash as he was driving late one night, there was a car that had stopped in the middle of the road, and they didn't have any lights on, they didn't have anything, and in order to avoid hitting them, he selflessly jerked his wheel and went off of the road and into a tree, and he was left a quadriplegic. The only thing that he could do was to speak, he could speak, and he could move his right fingertips. That's all he could do, speak and move his right fingertips. And everybody said, Fidel will just lie here for the rest of his life. He's going to be just a, a quadriplegic. He'll never be. And something spoke in the Fidel Alvarado's mind, and he said, I was made for more. This is not the end of anything for me. This is the beginning of something. And he talked to the town fathers, and they designed a unique apparatus that went alongside his bed. It was a long panel, and it had buttons on it that would answer the telephone. And it had a microphone. And Fidel Alvarado, for 30 years, for 30 years, he became the volunteer dispatcher for the, for the police, for the fire department, and for the ambulance. Everybody in that whole area that called the police got Fidel Alvarado. They had no idea he was lying in a bed, unable to move anything except his fingertips. Every police that answered an emergency, they went because Fidel Alvarado said, I was made for more. Every time the ambulance showed up, to rescue somebody else, it was because a man said, I'm not, I'm not destined to live in bondage to this situation. I was made for more. Every time some family had their house rescued by a fire department, it was because Fidel Alvarado said to himself, yes, this accident has happened. Yes, it's real. I can't change my circumstances, but I was made for more. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what the past or the, the sins of others or the, the struggles of life have done. I don't know what they've caused the walls to shrink in on you. But I just want to say this to you. If the only thing you can move is your tongue, then use it to praise God. Say, I was made for more. If you feel that life has absolutely crippled you, you feel that you can't budge, if you can't move anything but your fingertips and you say, I can answer a phone, I was made for more. There's something I can do. There's something I can give. I was made for more to rise above the circumstances and situations of life. Then, then there is more in terms of its transformational grace. Would you do Get this scene in your mind. Here's a, one of my favorite people in the Bible is Zacchaeus. Look up here. Do you understand why? <laughs> Zacchaeus lived his life cramped, puny, small. Not just small physically, but small emotionally, small relationally. Small in terms of, he was the Mr. Potter of the Bible. 
He just wanted to grasp. He wanted to hold on to everything. He had cheated and connived. He had twisted. He was the, he was the Mr. Potter of the New Testament. But something inside of him just said, I just want to see Jesus. I just want to see what he looks like. But he knew that the people didn't like him. He knew that there was no way they were going to let him press through the crowd. So he just climbed up in a tree. And Jesus pass, Jesus passing by sees him in the tree. Now listen to what he says. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house. I want to be in your house. But what is, what is he saying? He's saying you were made for more than the life you know. You were made for more than sitting up in a tree. You were made for more than seeing me from a distance. You were made for more than living a life like Mr. Potter conniving and twisting, constantly trying to get more and more and more. You're having and experiencing less and less. When Jesus eats with him that evening as they talk and as they as they begin to converse, the spirit of Jesus comes upon Zacchaeus. And he says, I intend to have less. I want to have less. I'm going to repay everyone that I've ever cheated. In fact, I'm going to pay them four times what I took from them. Furthermore, if there's anybody that I can't even think of, if I cheated anybody, just come to me and tell me and I'm going to pay you back. Furthermore, I'm going to give to the poor. I intend I've spent my whole life trying to have more. Now I'm going to have less. That's transformational grace. But Jesus says, by having less, you are not having less. By having less, you're going to experience more. Salvation has come to this house today. In other words, there may be things that in order to have more of God, more of what he has for you, you may have to have less of something else. You may have to let go of something in order to receive something. You may have to release something in order to accept something. Sometimes the only way we can go up is by letting go. Sometimes in order to experience the more that he has for us, his transformational grace, we have to let go. We clutch things to us. We clutch things to our breast and scream, mine, mine, mine. And when God says, look, I want to give you more. You were made for more. If you hold on to that little shred, if you clutch that, if that's all you want, you can have that. But your life shrinks with it. But if you will let go, he says, my transformational grace comes in and I am come that you might have life, not just life, but more abundantly, more abundantly. As a university professor and uh, president for nearly 20 years, I spent my life surrounded by young people. <laughs> let me tell you, if you don't know this, let me tell you what one of the number one concerns of single young adults is. Do you know what it is? It's not money or career or destiny. It is marriage. In fact, the motto of the last university of which I was the president was a ring by spring. But I counsel with so many young people who would say to me, they would, they would actually tell me, I'm involved in a relationship with the wrong person. I know it's the wrong person. I shouldn't be dating this girl. I shouldn't be dating this guy. I shouldn't be in this relationship. I know this is not good for me. I would say, let it go. This is not, this is, how sensible is this? Break it off. And they would say, well, 
I just want God to bring the right person in my life. I would say, no, he can't get the right person in your life until the wrong person. You've got to have an empty chair before God can bring somebody to sit there. But do you know what it is? You know what it is? It's a fear mechanism. It's a fear mechanism. If I break off with this guy, even though he's a selfish idiot, a nincompoop that's going to ruin my life, if I break off with him, God may not bring the new guy, the right guy, the more guy. He may not bring him by the time the prom gets here. And so therefore, I'd rather go with an idiot to the prom than go alone. And if I can just convince girls, if you would have less, you will have more. Think about the woman with the alabaster box. It's a beautiful story, but it is actually a story about less and more. She has one precious thing, an alabaster box, which is sealed. The aroma of the ointment inside of it cannot be accessed unless the box is destroyed. As long as you keep the box, you can't access what's inside of it. It comes out, but the ointment itself is sealed in. So she has to have less. She has to break the box in order to bring the the ointment out and anoint Jesus. She anoints Jesus with it. And listen listen to what some in the room say. That should have been sold. That should have been sold. That should have been, that should have been given to the poor. Look at this extravagance. Look at this lavish act, breaking that box. She should, she should have given more. Jesus says, you don't even understand what she's doing. What she's doing is more. He says, in the economy of the kingdom, an open-handed, open-hearted, loving, generous, broken act of worship is more. It's more than some simple act. Furthermore, by breaking the box, she actually has more of life than she'd ever had before. We still read her story. We don't even know her name. We still read her story 2,000 years later because she was willing to have less and be made for more. She was actually made for the New Testament. I don't think it ever dawned on her. I don't think she ever said, oh, man. I'm going to break this box and I'm going to be in the gospel of Luke. (laughs) They'll be preaching about me at free chapel. (laughs) It was a spontaneous act of lavish worship. She gave what she had and gave it open heartedly. She had less and she received more. So first of all, there is more of destiny. There is more of transformational grace. And then... There is more eternity. There's more eternity. Listen, listen to me on this. If you don't hear anything else I say today, then please hear this. In fact, in the whole series, I'm, I'm preaching the opening note of this series on Made for More. Brother Franklin will be here the next two or three weeks to clean up the mess. But if, <laughs> but if you only hear this one thing, will you hear this? Even, even at our healthiest, most dynamic moment. Jesus says to us, you were made for more. He said, Lord, I love life. I love life. I love 
family reunion. I love Thanksgiving. I love Christmas. I, I love laughing. I love being with my kids. I, I, I'm having a great time in life. He says, isn't it wonderful? Yes, Lord, I love it. He says, you were made for more. You were made for more. You were made to experience more than you've ever dared to think of or imagine. He says eternity will be greater, sweeter, more magnificent, more holy, more perfect, more joyful. In his presence, there is a satiety of joys. Do you you understand the English word satiety? It means that which satiates, that which fills me, that which satisfies every longing of my body, mind, and spirit. When I come into the presence of God, I will have more than anything I've ever known. More joy, more life, more vitality. Don't think for one moment that in heaven you're going to sit on a pink cloud floating around and playing the harp. Oh my God, how boring would this be? In the first place, you've never heard me play an instrument. You do not want to. That's not heaven. That's hell. You don't want that. But eternity is our explosion into more, into more. I I, uh, became the senior pastor of my first church when I was uh, not quite 22 years old. It's very scary, very scary. Not for me, for the church. Um, I had never been in a room with uh, a person who was dying. I'd never experienced it. I'd only been to one funeral in my whole life. Only been to one wedding. I was in shock at that one. So soon after I went to pastor this church, there was an elderly man, a great man, a saint of God, a real, a true, wonderful man in his late 80s. And he was uh, in the process of, of passing away. But it just his life just seemed to hang on and hang on, and hang on until the family was exhausted. One evening I was at the hospital with him and I said, look, why don't you just go on home? This could last an hour. It could last another six months. Go home tonight and get some sleep and I'll stay through the night. It never really crossed my mind that the transformation would happen that night. I was just going to let them go home and get some rest. About one o'clock in the morning, the rattle in Mr. Charlie's throat changed, sounded different. I rang the buzzer and the nurse came in and she said, well, he's dying. And she said, why don't you... uh, Let me call the family. I said, that'll be fine. I'll stay here. Mr. Charlie began to breathe heavily, you know, trying to draw that breath. You know what that's like. And then all of a sudden, he sat straight up in the bed, nearly scared the liver out of me. (laughs) Just sat straight up in the bed and looked across at a blank hospital wall, blank wall. And he said, oh, beautiful. And he laid down and died. I thought, I thought, I don't know what he saw, but I know that he saw the other side. I know that it was beautiful. No matter how great life is, no matter how sweet the moment, always hear that voice behind you saying, this and this wonderful, haven't I blessed you? Haven't I given you joy? Haven't you known happiness? Haven't you had a great family? But you were You were made for more. Now, how do we experience that? This is interesting. The book of Hebrews, the entire book of Hebrews, could actually be called the book of more. 
Jesus said, the book of Hebrews says, Jesus is more than a priest. He's more than a sacrifice. He's more than Moses. He's more than the angels. He's better than all of these things. So he says, I am come that they might have life. Listen to this. I'm come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That is simply a divine redundancy. I am the way, the truth, and the... I am come that they might have, which is Jesus. I am come that they might have life and that they might have me more abundantly. He says, I want them to have me, the life of me, all that I do, all the blessings, all the restoration, all the transformation, all the grace, more than they've ever known. Not, not these tiny little shoebox lives, clutching at every moment, squeezing every penny. But I said, I want them to know extravagant love. I want them to know joyful. I want them to know the spirit of abundance, of liberty and grace. But he said, we say, Lord, how? He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And the book of Hebrews says he is more than anything we've ever known, more than anything that religion can offer, more than the angels, more than the sacrifice, more than the temple, more than the tabernacle in the wilderness, more than Moses, more than the law. So in other words, he says, if you want more, I am more. I am more. I myself am more. You were made for more because you were made for Jesus. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.